And if you have a Bible with you, um, just want to encourage you, we're going to be, uh, you can open that. Uh, the passage that we'll be dealing with this morning is the passage that Margie just read, but it's from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. And today marks the second Sunday of Advent, and the song that we sang together a few minutes ago, Oh, Come All You Unfaithful, is the heart of our Advent series, The Truth That Christ Has Born For You. And I want to encourage you this morning, just before we dive into the text this morning, just to be praying for, uh, uh, you can be praying for me as bring the word, you can be praying uh, for those that you, you don't see here this morning. Um, also just want to share with you just kind of a, uh, a fun, uh, not a fun thing, an exciting thing is that uh, we've been blessed, and as you guys know, we've been blessed with many musicians uh, within our own body, but also we've been blessed with not just musicians, but individuals that can lead uh, worship as well. And so this morning we have, uh, we have uh, Jason Luters is down uh, leading worship at Pengrove Church this morning uh, for them, stepping in to help. Uh, we've been working in partnership with them to, uh, to help them as they have a need there. And then uh, also we have uh, uh, Trent and uh, Swanson, who's been my son, and my daughter Ashley, who are leading worship up at Windsor uh, this morning, at Windsor Christian Church this morning. And so it's just uh, an awesome thing to be able to see us uh, as the body of Christ being able to serve one another and serve in other churches as well. Um, and so I just think it's a blessing. I think it's something that's unique for us here at Redemption and something that we ought to celebrate as well and thank the Lord for just that um, for the, the gifts that are being used in those areas. And so um, just a, a, I share with you guys that we are tremendously blessed um, for all those that serve as a part of our worship team here and, um, and serve faithfully. And so for some of you that don't know, the commitment that that takes, and then also uh, each one that's leading every week. Uh, we have five main leaders that lead every week, Tim and Scott and Mike and Caleb and Wendy, and the preparation that that takes in a weekly basis to, um, to actually take time to line up and to work those songs to align with the scriptures that we're going to be proclaiming today. And we do that for a purpose of one. We do that that we do that for the first purpose of that is so that we can, one, bring forward the message of God's truth where we know in Colossians it says that part of the way that we learn is by singing songs to one another, hymns and psalms to one another. The other part of it is it's declaring prayer together. It's a unified prayer before the Lord that we bring to him as one voice together as his body. And in so doing, the Lord prepares us to receive his word. Um, and so we're blessed. And so I don't get to share that very often, but I wanted to just share that with you guys this morning because um, I think that that's a real blessing that we have as a part of the body of Christ here at Redemption. Um, that being said, as we dive into this second part of our, our Advent series the truth is that faithful or unfaithful, wherever we are in this moment, Christ calls us to come. And my hope is that during this Advent season that we slow down and we think about these truths that Christ has been born for us, that Christ is born for you, and that Christ is calling you to come to him. And so this morning, we're going to witness God's truth that Christ is born for our courage. No longer are we to live in fear, but in the courage offered through faith in Him. 
And Matthew 14, 22 through 23, which Margie just read for us, makes it clear that true courage comes from Jesus in coming to him. True courage comes from Jesus in coming to him. Courage comes from Jesus as we come to him. The one who was born for you and for me. Now, Jesus has just done a miracle. He's fed more than 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. Now, it's important to know here that the Scripture makes it clear that there were more than 5,000 people here. If it wasn't enough of a miracle to say that the feeding of the 5,000, but we know that there were 5,000 men, and then it tells us, and women and children, as a part of that. This was a miracle that would have caused any of us to be astonished. We're told in verse 20 that they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of leftover. Wow. This miracle's been done. From five loaves and two fish, 12 baskets of scraps remain. The courage that is going to come forth, that God is calling forth through Jesus, is found in Him, the one who does miracles like feeding the 5,000. The one who does miracles like we'll see in a moment, who allows Peter to walk on water. And the one who calms the sea and silences the wind. Lord God, as we come before you this morning... May we embrace the courage that you have for us that is found in you and you alone. May our faith be rooted firmly in you. And Lord God, this morning as your word goes forth, may it penetrate into our hearts. Father, may you move me to the back and you to the front. And may you be seen and made known. Speak to each of us this morning. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So with this backdrop of this great miracle that's just been done, we look at our passage this morning. And verse 22 through 24 tells us that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us that they were actually straining against the oars. They were fighting with this boat. What's unique about this is Jesus sent them out across the lake. Right? He knew what was to come. The word made here is, is the Greek word anakasin, and it's a, it's a word that actually encompasses a number of things, but the idea behind it is to be forced or compelled. So Jesus spoke this directly. It wasn't a passive like, hey, you may want to think about going in the boat across the way. This is, he actually compels them or forces them to go. We don't have any picture of them or any knowledge of them arguing. They simply obey. They follow his leading in his direction. And now they're in the middle of this lake. And the wind is against them. And they're straining against them. 
Now, what's unique about this is Jesus actually gives us a model of communion with the Father. After having done this great miracle of feeding the 5,000, he sends the disciples on their way so he can go and pray, so that he can be alone and pray on the mountain. And we see this throughout the New Testament where Jesus is taking time to pray. He's communing with the Father. He's being refreshed by the very presence of the Father. What we're going to see this morning is that our courage and our refreshment actually comes from Jesus. That we too need to be in communion with Christ. So notice here that the disciples obey. It doesn't look as if they fight him, but they go willingly. And in verse 25 and 26, we're told that in the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Now the truth is, for many of us, we look at the disciples and wonder, how in the world, if they've just watched this miracle, why they wouldn't recognize Jesus? For most of us, though, we can honestly say that if we were in a boat someplace, we saw some dude walking across the water, we would be scared, would we not? The first reaction is not, that's normal, right? Here's Jesus walking towards him. And we're told that they actually cry out in fear. Now, here they are sitting in the middle of the sea. They're far from shore. And Jesus sees the boat being beaten and the wind holding them back. Here's the picture. The picture is as the boat is facing into the wind and the wind is blowing the boat backwards. As the wind is blowing them backwards, they're being beaten on the sides by the waves that are coming in. They're really being tossed around. They're being knocked around, and they're not making any progress. It's kind of a, kind of a hopeless situation, an exhausting situation. They can see the other side. They just can't get there. It's like the, the never-ending train tunnel, right? You can see the light, but you can't get to it. That's what's happening here. And they see Jesus walking on the water, and they think he's a ghost, and they cry out in fear. They're terrified. So Jesus responds in verse 27. He says, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now the word for take heart is actually a phrase, and it's, it's a word tharseo, and tharseo carries with it the sense of being bold or confident or cheerful and courageous. It is to be of good courage. And so take heart really equals or is means to be of good courage. Now what is good courage? Good courage is courage that is strong, confident, cheerful, and bold. Now, there's some of us that have courage, but what we don't feel like is cheerful. 
We don't look at it and go, yeah, I get to be courageous today. In fact, that's not usually how you start your day. Your day usually isn't being measured in, yeah, I want to do something that's going to require a lot of courage. Because usually for courage, it means the situation's not going to be real likable, right? So most of us want to wake up and be courageous, but we really don't want to hit it running by looking for opportunities to be courageous. It's kind of like being a fire chaser, right? I mean, it'd be like looking to, to follow every bad thing in the world and then say, hey, here's my opportunity to be courageous. That's not what we do. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be of good courage. I want you to be confident. I want you to be cheerful. I want you to be bold. And ultimately, I want your courage to manifest these things. It is while a person that is five or a person that is 95 or a person that is 55 can be courageous in the most mundane situations. It's why a person who can't get out of a hospital bed can still be courageous and manifest courage. It is why a person who may experience disabilities in this life can still have courage as they tackle those difficulties and challenges. Because the courage is not manifested or come about because of something that we do, but it is completely and wholly grounded in Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Isaiah 43, 1-3 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Courage is found in a person. And that person is Jesus. God in flesh. That's where courage comes from. Our courage is found in a person, and that person is Jesus. John 16, points out, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Our courage comes from Christ. For the believer, courage is found in Jesus. And what is unique about the courage? That courage is met with cheerfulness and with boldness and with confidence. Because the courage is not found in oneself, but found in the person of Jesus. Now think about all the ways that we can fear. 
Chapman University here in California does an annual study called the Chapman Survey of American Fears. No idea. They run this study and survey every spring. It's in partnership with fellows from other colleges throughout the country. This particular year was done with a fellow from Wilkinson College. And here were the 10 top fears that they came across for Americans. Some you may resonate with, some you may not. But the respondents were overwhelming in these areas. That's what's wacky to me. So the number one fear for Americans was corrupt government officials. Second was economic and financial collapse. Third was Russia using nuclear weapons. Fourth was the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Fifth was people I love becoming seriously ill. Sixth was people I love dying. Seven was pollution of drinking water. Eighth was biological warfare. I have no idea why. Ninth was cyber terrorism. And tenth was not having enough money for the future. Now, out of those fears, eight of those don't even really involve people. They're just nebulous things that are out there. We live in a world where fear reigns, where there's always something to be fearful. Now, I would look at this, and I would see something different than this. I would see, like, hey, fear of burning alive, <laughs> fear of drowning, um, fear of spiders and snakes. I, I don't know. <laughs> but it wouldn't probably be this list. And the reason I share that with you is think about those things and what is weighing on people's hearts. The fear that weighs on people's hearts. Think about the fact that this list, every single thing on this list, with the exception of not having a month money for the future, which is even a blessing for the future, that's the only one that you could even remotely begin to do something about yourself. Everything else is completely out of your control. Completely. And think of these things that we fear. So how do we then live courageously in Christ? How do we actually have courage? Well, sometimes this passage is speaking about courage, as we know in the Gospel of Mark, where Mark is focusing on Jesus as the the servant of God, His promised servant, we see that it is about growing in faith as a result of this courage. We know that you could take this story and you could say, well, it's just about the storms of life and how we can walk with Jesus through the storms of life. But listen to the question asked by Peter here. Jesus says, take heart, it is I. The disciples fear. Why? Because they believe Jesus to be a ghost. Oh, they're bothered by the waves. They're bothered by the wind. But they're terrified because they believe that Jesus is a ghost in this moment. And so here is Peter's response. He says something unique here. He says, Lord, if it is you, 
Command me to come to you on the water. The truth is, is to live courageously in Christ is to know Christ. The only way to live courageously in faith is to know Jesus and to know about him and to know about his courage. And so what we see here then are two aspects to know about Jesus and his courage. Because our courage is rooted in him. So two aspects to know about Jesus and his courage. The first is that he commands to come to confirm he is who he says. He's commanding us to come to confirm he is who he says. The Lord wants us to come to him. We're told here that Peter says, Lord, if you command me to come to you on the water, he then says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Pretty awesome. Peter responds with faith. He comes to Jesus. For what purpose? So that Jesus might show him who he really is. When we're in situations of fear, things are pressing against us. Maybe our health is being questioned. Maybe it's a situation where our family is breaking apart. Maybe our kids don't want anything to do with Christ. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Whatever is creating fear within us, Jesus is saying, come to me. He's saying, come, that you might know my promises, that you might know me. Brian Bell points out, he doesn't say, Lord, if it's you, stop the storm, change my circumstance. Instead, Peter asks for a command from God, and he gets one word, come. Maybe you and I in our storms can start asking for a command from God instead of guarantees, and we can learn to walk on the word. That's what he's saying. Jesus is looking for the opportunity to show himself to us, to make himself known, to show us that he can be trusted, that our courage can be rooted wholly and securely in him. What has God called you to that has brought great fear to you? If God were to call you today to Zimbabwe, what would go through your heart and mind? You see, Jesus reveals two key aspects of himself to Peter in this moment. First, he reveals that all things are possible with him. Mark 10, 26-27 says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Whatever God is calling you into, he will give you the courage to walk through. He will equip you. And we need to remember that all things are possible with God. The problem with it is, is that so often we pull away and we try to find our own solutions. We try to put our faith and confidence in our abilities. When was the last time God called you to share and disciple someone else? I remember years ago, I was in a 
this was, I was in college, and I was actually meeting with, uh, at the time of all things, my cardiologist, and this was long before I was having any of these more recent troubles, and I was telling him, I said, yeah, I said, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I feel God kind of calling me to ministry, so this tells you I was like 18, and I feel like God's calling me to ministry, but, you know, I really want to be a pilot, but if I can't pass that physical, I guess, you know, the other passion that I would have is to be a doctor. And he looked at me, and he's like, oh, my goodness. He goes, don't be a doctor. You know, he's like, you, he goes, you'll think you know things, and you'll just never know it all. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's funny. He thinks that you can know everything about Christ, too. The beauty is we can't. God is always showing us new things. But one thing that is true is that all things are possible with him. And so when he calls us to himself, when he calls us to come, he has the power to do it all. He's the one that equips. He's the one that carries it out. And so we can have courage because whatever situation seems hopeless, he gives us the courage to endure. I think too often we forget that and we play it safe in our faith. God's calling us to live by our faith and to have a courageous faith. And we just want to take the easy path out. It's kind of that way in our witness as well. We become afraid to share the truth of who Jesus is forgetting that it's him that does the equipping. It's the, he is the one who does the work. He is the one that is faithful and true and carries it on. When God calls us to love our neighbor even when they're unlovable. When things seem so unjust and we're treated unfairly, continuing to walk courageously with Christ not in the, oh man, I guess I have to do this, but rather in the joy of getting to walk with him. A number of years ago, Elisa bought me this, uh, this remote-controlled airplane. And you guys know I'm, I'm an absolute aviation nerd. So I, I loved it. I was getting ready for it. She bought it. Now, she made a mistake. After buying it, she told me what it cost. <laughs> and so I looked at this thing, and I'm like, there's no way in the world I'm flying it. Nope. And so I got it out, and I'm like, she's like, are you ever going to fly this thing? I got it all set up, got it all charged, did everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll fly it one day, but I need to get another plane so that if I crash this one, I can learn on that one and not on this one here. And so I kept waiting and waiting and two years had passed, three years had passed, and this thing had really become a decoration in our garage. It was up on top of this, this hutch. And, uh, and so she said, are you gonna, you gonna ever take this thing out and fly it? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And I'm like, I just know how much it's gonna cost. I watch too much of this stuff. It's gonna crash. I'm gonna waste all this money. And she's like, whatever, it's been three years. Fly the dang plane. <laughs> So I went out and I start actually reading the instructions and I'm like, oh, I'm like, it has a no crash function on this thing. It's self-writing. 
So if you get it in an attitude that it, it senses that it's going to get too close to the ground with the wrong attitude, it will level itself out and fly away. And I'm like, hey, Lise, did you know it had this? And she's like, yes, I knew it had. That's why I bought it for you. And so I'm, oh, perfect. So I go out, get it, realize the battery had gone bad because of uh, the, it had been so long that we had to get new stuff. And so I get all the new parts, get it ready, set it up back where it's going to go, waiting for the day, because it's the winter time, waiting for a better, clear day, but now I'm going to go fly this thing with passion. Come home about a week later, garage doors open on a windy, rainy day. And what does an airplane do when wind flies under its wings? It flies. And this thing flew off its perch, straight into the ceiling in the garage, smashed the front, bent the, the, uh, the spindles on the motor, and made the plane completely unusable. Now, here's the thing. I never got to enjoy flying that plane because I didn't know anything about it. If I had known that that plane had a built-in mechanism that would actually ride itself, that would take care of itself, I would have enjoyed it. When we don't know about Jesus and the things that he calls us to and the nature of who he is, we can't enjoy him. And so our courage has to be rooted in the person and work of Jesus, in who we know him to be, and who the scriptures reveal him to be. Jesus can do all things, and all things are possible with him. Jesus has authority over all creation. Genesis 1, 26-27 says, Then God said, Let us, that is Father, Son, together, make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Matthew 8, verse 3-7, we're told, Excuse me, in 23 through 27, we're told actually in verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. We need to remember that we can have courage because all things are possible with Christ and that he has authority over all creation. See, when we know Jesus, we can have courage. And so walking in courage then requires us to put our faith in Jesus, keeping our focus on him. Put your faith in Jesus, keeping your focus on him. Now, for many of us, we put our faith in Jesus, but then we take our focus off of him. What God wants from us is for us to keep our focus on him. Peter gets out of the boat, he trusts him, he keeps focused on him. So we need to know then that Jesus calls us or commands us to come, why? So that we might know who he is, he might reveal who he is. If we don't ever come to Jesus in faith, we will never experience his power. We will never experience freedom. 
we will never experience his goodness and his love towards us. It is when we walk with Jesus as we come to him that he shows us who he really is. And what does he do in so doing? He builds our faith. The second thing then we need to know is that Jesus saves even with little faith and doubt. Jesus saves even with little faith and doubt. Now, Peter's walking along. He sees the wind and by de facto sees the waves. His eyes come off, he becomes afraid, and he begins to sink. And what does he do? He doesn't say in that moment, oh Jesus, if you are truly the Savior, save me. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm sinking. When are you going to help me? He says three words, Lord, save me. Now, why do I share this? This is the Savior that we serve. He didn't say that you had to come with great faith. He didn't say you had to come with powerful faith or even determined faith. He said, simply come to me in faith. His call for his kingdom is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, in this moment, Peter sinks. The Lord wants him to have confidence in who he is. But in this moment, his eyes drift off to the circumstances and the circumstances become larger than Jesus. And in that moment, when he begins to sink... He does not stay fixated on the waves that are there. He simply cries out to the one who can save him, which is Jesus. And I think that this statement sometimes is taken out of context. Yes, there's a rebuke in it, but it's not the way that we often read this. This is the sincerity of a loving Savior who is correcting his child and saying to him, oh, Peter, you were doing so well. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? It's much more a place of a compassionate father who is saying to him, listen, you were walking on water and yet your eyes drifted. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? But Jesus does not hesitate to rescue him. He doesn't look at him and go, ha, 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 stay down for three seconds, 25 seconds. You got it now, Peter? Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't push him back under and pull him back up. How do you like it? Can you get me now? You got to learn your lesson? He doesn't do that. He takes him and he pulls him up. And he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Saved. How many times in our own lives can we feel like failures 
because we doubted Jesus in that moment. What God wants to do in our lives is to take that doubt and give us a confidence, a courage of good cheer, a courage of great confidence, a courage of boldness that is found in him. But he is a compassionate father. He is a compassionate savior. He is a compassionate king. And he looks at us and he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And sometimes we can beat ourselves up because that small amount of faith that's there, oh, I should have, I'm so stupid. God, you must be so tired of me. But he looks at you and he says, ah, Tim or Robin or Jason. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Come to me. Keep coming to me. Do you see the compassion of our Savior? Do you see that he didn't say that your faith had to be rooted in, in great magnificence? Do you see that in order to know Jesus, you need to come to him and that he will grow your faith? Do you see that when we come to Jesus, that he actually reveals more of himself to us? And that when we come to Jesus, it does not mean that we don't have doubts and it doesn't mean that we've got all of the answers. When you come to faith in Jesus, if there are any of you in here who are struggling or waiting or trying to figure out, I need to to come to Jesus, but I don't know when the right time is. He's saying, come now. Put your faith as little as it is. Can you see that you need a Savior and that Jesus is your Savior? And all of the other questions will be answered as you come to him in his time. Jesus reminds us of that. In Matthew 17, 5, he says, increase our faith. That's what the apostles were asking. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What he's saying is not physically that if you look at the tree, it's going to uproot itself and move to the tree. What he's saying here is if you have a little faith in Jesus, Jesus can accomplish much through you. Romans 10, 5 through 13 says, For Moses, write, write about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, that is to death, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Jesus was born for our courage. That we no longer live in the fear of this life. If fear is overwhelming you, I want to encourage you, step into His courage. Draw near to Him. Come to Him. And know that He can use even the smallest amount of faith and grow it. It's that first part that we need to place our trust in Christ and keep our focus on Him. The second part of walking in courage is that in all circumstances, remember Jesus' compassion and work towards you. In all circumstances, remember Jesus' compassion and work towards you. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, you of little faith, because Jesus, excuse me, because Peter had been walking on water. He's saying, Remember that. Look at what I've already done through you. Look what I've already done for you. And know my compassion. Know that I didn't grab you by the head, pull you up, stare at you in the face, and shove you back around, but I pulled you up and I held you up, and we got back in the boat together. You did not leave me. That's the compassion of Jesus. That work that we need to keep our eyes on are both his past work and his present work. What have you done in Christ where you've seen Christ work? I want to encourage you, take steps of faith with Christ courageously because he was born for our courage. So here's an important truth that we need to cling on to. Walking courageously in Christ brings glory to him by proclaiming the truth of who he really is. Walking courageously in Christ brings glory to him by proclaiming the truth of who he really is. It says, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. When people witness you walk in courageous faith, they see the truth of Jesus. Your life proclaims the truth of who he is. When we live in fear, we live as the world lives. But as followers of Christ, we are not to live as the world lives, but we are to live in his courage and walk as Christ has walked. Notice the number of times in this text it talks about walking on water. First it was Jesus, then it was Peter, then it was Jesus, and that is our life. It is Jesus as we walk in him who then carries us and walks us some more. May our courage be found and rooted completely in him. And may we take joy in knowing that he has been born for our courage. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, may we see that your blood and your body, which have been both shed on the cross and broken for us through the death of, our, of your body, that both the cup and the bread are reminders of the courage that you have given us through you. Lord Jesus, you went to the cross courageously, boldly, in obedience to the Father. And may we be so bold 
to go wherever you've called us, both in pleasant time and in difficult time, both in health and in suffering, both in good and in bad. May we approach it with the same courage that is rooted and founded in you. And may people see you in us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.